This is Stand Up For The Truth. Educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's Word and truth. The man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at standupforthetruth.com. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's the host of Stand Up For The Truth, Mike LeMay. Cutting through all the noise and fog of this world and pointing us to the eternal truth, of God's Word. Good morning, Mike LeMay and David Fiorazzo. We welcome you to another edition of Stand Up for the Truth. Uh, today, we're going to focus, uh, turn our focus to public education. Lord God, thank you so much for uh, a new day, a new week, and uh, just for the sunshine today and the <laughs> thawing temperatures we have here coming up in the Midwest. And we know that you are the God over all seasons. And we also know, Lord, that in your Word, you tell us to preach the Word in season and out of season, and that means all the time. So help your word be on our lips so that we can share it with others. And, Father, we know that we've got to put your word in our hearts before it can be on our lips, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Help us, Lord, be better stewards of your grace and, and, and your word that you give us and all the blessings that you give us. Uh, help us to use whatever talents and abilities we have to minister to others who need to hear what we have to share. And sometimes they just need encouragement and prayer. Um, so help us to, to be your messengers, your disciples, and uh, to always be speaking the truth in love. We commit this hour to you. We um, pray, God, that you would somehow work in this government-run education system in our country that has gone so bad, so wrong, and has declined so greatly. And we, I don't know actually what to pray other than Holy Spirit help help. I know there are Christian teachers in education. We ask that you'd strengthen them right now. Encourage them, Lord. I know their hands are tied, but uh, maybe they can be uh, good examples to some of these young kids who are bombarded with so much garbage. And uh, Lord, we just pray for wisdom, especially for parents who are listening, Christian parents who have kids in public education. Lord, God, help them um, Help them to bring up their kids in the ways of you and the truth and help them to uh, teach their kids at home as much as possible so when they go to school, um, they have a little bit of truth in them that they uh, won't fall for all the enemy's lies. We love you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Uh, Reminder, our sixth annual Watchman Conference scheduled for Friday evening, April 19th, and all day Saturday the 20th at the uh, Word of the Barn Fellowship in Swamico, just about 10 miles north of Green Bay. Elijah Abraham, a former Muslim, now born-again believer. Uh, Jay Seeger from the Starting Point Project. Dave Wager from Nicolay Bible Institute. Join us. And what we're going to be talking about over the weekend is, are we in that final apostasy? that Jesus and Paul warned about before Antichrist appears? Uh, How do we guard our hearts and minds against deception? How do we share the gospel effectively in these days of political correctness and growing hatred of Christians? And just how close might we be to government taking over churches? So, again, Friday, April 19th, Saturday, April 20th, there is no cost, but you must pre-register. You can email me at mike at q90fm.com, and we'll get you registered. Seating is limited, so please register quickly. Well, we're going to talk about education today. God's Word tells parents that we should raise our children by teaching them His Word, His ways, and His standard of morality. The public education system in our nation actually started off using God's Word as a foundation for teaching children about life, but over the past 50 years or so, it has shifted dramatically, and now it's focused on raising them to be good global citizens and actually setting aside the teachings of God completely. So we're going to look at an interesting article by George Rassley this morning. We're also going to look at how, while Christianity has been said it has no place in public education, interestingly, some other religions are, they receive the welcome mat in public education. So let's start off. This this article is by George Rasley and it's called 100 Years of Teaching Children Lies About America. And we start that off for the foundation for our show. Every child in America entering school at the age of five is mentally ill because he comes to school with certain allegiances to our founding fathers, toward our elected officials, toward his parents, toward a belief in a supernatural being, and toward the sovereignty of this nation as a separate entity. It's up to you as teachers to make all these sick children well by creating the international child of the future. 
Who said that? Chester Price, or Pierce. He was a Harvard psychiatrist, and uh, he was speaking in the 1973 International Education uh, Seminar. Dishonesty is one of the left's most significant vulnerabilities, but it is also the source of much of the left's power. And the left's anti-American propaganda is having a big impact. According to a McLaughlin poll following the recent State of the Union in America here, nearly 90% of self-identified liberal Republicans, uh, 85% of wealthy, 66% of 18 to 29-year-olds, and 64% of active-duty military believe America is the source of most of the world's ills, political, economic, and environmental. How did we get to a place where 64% of the men and women defending our country believe it's the source of most of the world's ills? Uh, John Anthony, founder of Sustainable Freedom Lab, wrote in a 2014 column that in the 1700s, when the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights were written, people actually understood God and the Bible. Now, the New England Primer, the main student textbook, contained passages from the King James Bible. Teachers used Bible verses in the Ten Commandments to teach children to read. In the 18th century, people understood the permanency of the term endowed by their creator. Students learned an appreciation for the stability of God's word in public classrooms. Now, over the years, teaching changed. Public schools decreasingly referenced God, and religion became an intellectual exercise forbidden in the public square. Couple court cases in 1872, Minor versus the Board of Education the Ohio, in the Ohio Supreme Court, following four years of court challenges, often referred to the Christian Bible Wars, removed Bible readings from the school day, so no more Bible readings in school. John Dewey, the self-proclaimed father of uh, American education, his progressive approach to education in the early 20th century had an indelible impact on religion and public schools. Dewey was a proponent of secular humanism, and he believed it was possible to be ethical and moral without religion, and that God was not omnipotent. And then, of course, the Supreme Court in 1962 in Engel versus Vitale, and in 1963, the Abington School District versus Shemp, issued similar decisions that school prayer violated the First Amendment. So school children soon forgot why the Creator is so crucial to our rights. And the article continues. It says, today, the McLaughlin poll referenced above implies um, Americans believe that issues like climate change and discrimination transcend individual rights, that it is selfish to think only of your rights, and that global citizens must place mankind's good before personal rights. So divorced are we from understanding individual rights, such as property rights, that millions of, American, of Americans unquestioningly applaud their loss as insignificant, compassionate, or even necessary. How has this been accomplished? Well, according to Kathleen Marquardt, textbooks are full of misinformation, propaganda, and lies. Classic literature is banned for using outdated words. Books are ignored or shunned for promoting morality literacy, reason, common sense, and civility, and while our institutes of higher learning preach question authority, they don't actually teach questioning anything but Western culture and its values. They certainly don't teach students to question the professor's authority. No longer do students debate tough issues. No one wants to take the side of the non-politically correct. So how do we get from the Declaration of Independence to the state of political correctness? In 1918, Mary Parker Follett wrote in The New State, group organization would subsume popular government. The tra quote, the training for the new democracy must be from the cradle, through nursery, school and play, and on and on through every activity of our life. Citizenship is not to be learned in good government classes or current events courses or lessons in civics. It is to be acquired through those modes of living and acting, which shall teach us how to give, uh, how to grow the social consciousness. This should be the object of all day school education, of all night school education, of all supervised recreation, and all our family life, our club life, our civil life. 
quote, when we challenge our ideas of the relation of the individual to society, our whole system of education changes. What we want to teach is interdependence, that efficiency waits on discipline, and that discipline is obedience to the whole of which I am a part. When we know how to reach social discipline, then we shall know how to teach school. And she finishes on page 363 of her book, the object of education is to fit children into the life of the community. Mm. All right, this is a lengthy article, and we will post it at standupforthetruth.com. We'll put it in today's podcast. And uh, also, I believe it's on our Facebook page already, but we'll, uh, we'll make sure you guys can have access to it. The article continues. It says, as Michael Patrick Leahy uh, reported for Breitbart, quote, this teaches union effort called Red for Ed has its roots in the very same socialism that President Trump vowed in his 2019 State of the Union address to stop. And it began in its current form in early 2018 in a far-flung corner of the country before spreading nationally. Its stated goals, higher teacher pay and better education conditions, are overshadowed by a more malevolent, malevolent political agenda, a leftist Democrat uprising designed to flip purple or red states to blue using the might of a significant part of the education system as its lever. Um, It says, it continues, it should come as no surprise that the Red for Ed movement founder, Noah Carvelis, published his latest manifesto in Jacobin magazine, an unabashed promoter of Marxism, proudly taking its name from the radical left, Jacobins who turned the French Revolution of the 1790s into a bloodbath for their opponents. The political and cultural establishment seem oblivious to this, an obvious connection between a century of education policy that turned teachers into leftist social engineers, today's Marxist revolutionaries, and the far-left Democratic Party, the political activity of teachers. And in uh, uh, finishing up the article, how did we come to a place where 64% of the men and women defending our country believe it is the source of most of the world's ills? The first part of the answer to that complex question is that we turned over the education of our educators to anti-American collectivists who have spent the last century inculcating young Americans with a collectivist ideology that despises the people and literature that formed the ideas undergirding the American founding. Now, the fruit of that decision, undertaken with the act of participation of Americans' elite institutions and leaders, such as the L.A. Times and Common Core advocate Jeb Bush, is an education establishment that, instead of producing citizens immersed in ideas of American civic virtue, has produced generations of the anti-American Marxist zealots now infecting the American education system from the nursery through graduate school, just as Mary Parker followed hope for in 1918. And David, uh, when my children were young, there was a lot of pressure to get them into uh, kindergarten, pre-kindergarten, pre-education. And one of the things I notice is whenever leftists come to power, as they have now, we have a leftist governor in Wisconsin, and we certainly have a leftist House of Representatives in Washington. They're always pushing the same things. Higher teacher pay, smaller classrooms, <laughs> yeah. and education. Let's get these kids in public education as quickly as we can. Heck, right out of the womb, if we let them live, let's get them into public education. If and we let them live. I like how you put live. that in there. So, you know, when you look at, and David, you have researched John Dewey extensively in your books. This man went to communist Russia to learn how to develop the American education system. Mm-hmm. And you go back to people like, I believe it was Lenin, who said, give me four years to teach the children, and the seed I plant will never be uprooted. And you you just look at it. Not only is it anti-American hatred being taught in our public schools, more importantly, it's, it's really a hatred of God mm-hmm. and a hatred of his standard of morality. Yeah, and that's the problem. Uh, isn't Christianity the, the problem in the way of the left's uh, final goals and solutions and their progressive march through the major institutions of America? I'm paraphrasing Antonio Gramsci, the Italian Marxist who wrote his prison notebooks and said, this is how you do it. This is how you take down a giant like like uh, the Western society in America, the, the Judeo-Christian values and culture. You don't do it 
um, overtly, or I'm sorry, you don't do it. Yeah, you don't do it overtly. You don't do it covertly. 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 So infiltrate academia, and they did. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, they came over from Europe. Fabian socialists and progressives started becoming teachers. They got jobs at our major universities. They started there. They went from higher education, like Columbia and uh, in Chicago, whatever school that that is, Berkeley, and they got into public education as teachers in our high schools and then junior high schools. This is how they did it, big time, before government even changed as much as it did. And the, the worldview there, the progressive worldview, they got into education from higher education to K through 12. And this is how they did it. But it started in the early 1900s. And Antonio Gramsci, again, said, you take over the major institutions in America, starting with education. And he called it a long, or he might have said gradual, but I think he said a long progressive march through the major institutions. And he, and he had that in mind over many decades yeah. Or even a couple generations. And look what happened. Take the generation that was educated in the in the 40s, and they had kids, and they had grandkids, and they're educated in the 60s and 70s, and it completely flipped yeah. the worldview and the, the actually direction of the country, I believe. It did. You know, and uh, Gramsci wrote about it, and Alinsky wrote about it. You, you take over education, you subvert the media, and you undermine the church. You know, uh, oh, Hollywood uh, too. Yeah, Alinsky wrote that. You know, Americans will never overtly embrace Marxism because they're a religious people and and they're people who love freedom. So what you do is you take over media, so you control basically the distribution of information. You take over public education, so you start indoctrinating children that good is bad and bad is good, and then you neutralize the church. and And we certainly see that in American Christianity. Look at the growth. Of, of anti-Christian liberalism in many professing churches uh, across the board on issues that are being taught, not being taught. Uh, you've got a major schism going on here within the church in America. So uh, interesting article by George Rasley. As David said, we will post it because uh, we did edit it for, for time's sake, but you can look at the whole article on StandUpForTheTruth.com, which you are listening to on Q90FM Christian Truth Radio. Now, Christianity has certainly been showed the door in public education, but when we come back, there's some religions that are being invited in. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. Well, no doubt God and the Bible have been given the boot in public education because, you know, we've got to have this separation of church and state, huh. which, by the way, again, uh, particularly if you're young, go back and read the Bill of Rights and find out what the separation of church and state is. The intent of our forefathers was that government would never, never be able to impose or interfere with religious beliefs of the individual. But because we've numbed children to the truth, they now believe the exact opposite is the intent of that. So Christianity's been given the boot, but uh, hey, Buddhism, come on in. Well, uh, Christianity was given the boot over 50 years ago, leaving a massive spiritual void. And the doors were then flung wide open for ABC education. Anything but Christ. Well, this is uh, from the article on uh, the Buddhist indoctrination. Um, the ACLJ writes, they've been contacted by parents of elementary, middle, and high school students from over a dozen states. Some students are required to participate in as many as three meditation or mindfulness sessions each school day. Some sessions last three minutes, others last approximately 15 minutes. Most of the programs called Mind Up, Inner Explorer, Calm Classroom, and Mindful Schools include audio recordings encouraging children to empty their minds or watch their thoughts float away on a cloud. Other recordings encourage children to be one with the universe. In conjunction with these audio recordings, some schools have incorporated Buddhist art and crafts projects. They've encouraged the use of or oracle cards 
and printed T-shirts of the school's mascot, assuming a Buddhist pose. Before I go out with the article, I, I've got to go back to what you said here. You know, encouraging children to empty their minds and watch their thoughts float away. I'd say they're being successful with that because they can't seem to think. <laughs> so in other words, just take reason and let it float up to the sky. Mm. The article goes on, in other cases, the schools are stubbornly refusing to listen to constitutional reason. The two common misnomers cited by schools in defense of the decision to implement and keep the mindfulness programs is that first, there is no real connection between mindfulness and Buddhism or other religions, and two, the program produces positive outcomes across education, such as better concentration and increased test scores. Now, the ACLJ has been quick to educate the schools on these issues. First, while mindfulness proponents staunchly deny that mindfulness has any real connection to Buddhism, many experts find the connection to be irrefutable. As one expert explains, mindfulness is part of the eightfold path of Buddhist awakening. Simply put, it is the gateway to meditation. Mindfulness meditation is to Buddhism what prayer is to Christianity. It is simply a change of vocabulary, and it's being used to remove overtly religious references to Buddhism from the mindfulness school curriculum so it can't be recognized for what it truly is, the practice of Buddhism Buddhism, and a violation of the First Amendment. Well, mindfulness proponents have been caught on tape admitting the religious connection. Um, Goldie Hawn, for example, uh, founder of Mind Up, insists to the outside world that the mindfulness programs implemented in public schools are purely secular. During a presentation at a conference in 2013 at the Dalai Lama Center for Peace Education, however, Han told her audience that, quote, we have to be able to bring contemplative practice into the classroom under a different name because obviously people say that meditation, they think of this as Buddhist. And once again, in an interview, another proponent of mindfulness describes such programs as stealth Buddhism. In this video, proponents of mindfulness purportedly laugh at their intentional deception and boast that these Buddhist teachings transform students whether they want it or not. Similarly, developer of, quote, Calm Classroom, another public school mindfulness program, admitted his foundation has attempted to strip out the chanting of Om and mantras and the use of Sanskrit and remove other overtly religious references to Buddhism in order to make it more palatable for the public school system and, of course, for Christian parents that might complain. Also, when proponents of mindfulness uh, claim there are numerous secular benefits related to mindfulness practices by young and impressionable children, the benefits are speculative at best and do not make the practice any less religious. As one expert on this issue notes, there is, quote, abundant scientific research that demonstrates religion and spirituality promote physical and mental health and learning. Studies of prayer, for example, report benefits similar to those of mindfulness, but we wouldn't integrate prayer into a public school curriculum. In the end, appeals to science can't simply speak religion away, end quote. Finally, the research on the effects of meditation and mindfulness practices is wrought with inconsistent data and includes disturbing reports of adverse or negative effects. So let's just take a step back and look at the big picture here, David. You know, you, we've all heard that saying, nature abhors a vacuum. It just, something has got to take the place. There can't be nothing. Every man's soul, the Bible tells us, seeks a spiritual connection. We're told that in Romans. We're told that in the Old Testament that, you know, we are created. We have physical bodies, but we're spiritual beings. And we, we, we long for that spiritual connection with our creator. So what we've effectively done here in American public education is remove one potential spiritual connection with fallen man and his creator, and we've replaced it with another. Buddhism. And and so it's all about, and, and please understand this, American education system is all about emptying our minds of any rational thought. It, it, it's really that simple. It's dumbing people down where they can't think rationally, and they really be just become mind-numbed robots. They simply repeat 
what they're taught. It's called memorize and regurgitate. Um, so instead of teaching our children how to think, which is the classical education model that was in this nation for centuries, it's replaced with an indoctrination of telling children what to think. It, it's that simple, really. When we teach children how to critically think, they can look at information and make a decision for themselves. But when you teach them what to think, this is exactly how Marxism gets a foothold and exactly how God is kicked out and something that will literally lead you to mindlessness, Buddhist meditation, which is mindlessness. <laughs> That's how it gets incorporated into public education. Mike, if what you and we are talking about here and this article from the ACLJ, J. Seculo's um, organization, if what we're saying is true, uh, then either Christian parents don't know about it or they don't think it's that bad because their kids are still going to public schools. Yeah, I most, think, most of them, I would say, you know, 85% of sure. Christian parents still send their kids to public schools because it's free. You know, our tax dollars pay for it. I, I think the majority don't know what's going on, David. And I, I think also, you know, sometimes you might call me a conspiracy kook, but I, I look back to the early 60s with Lyndon Johnson and this great society thing. Hey, let's get rid of poverty. Let's make sure our children are the best educated children in the world. Oh, and by the way, to do that, we're going to need massive tax increases. <laughs> and you combine that Jeez. with the greed we have as Americans, we, myself included. We want the, the latest and the best. We want two cars. We want five computers and 12 televisions. So now, well, gosh, with these higher taxes, mom and dad are both going to have to work. So we have two income mm. families. So mom and dad come home dead tired at 5.30 or 6 o'clock at night. And the last thing they want to do is sit down with Junior or Missy for an hour and say, what's going on in school? We, we just entrust that our public education system, because I think many of the teachers in public education are good people. I mean, I, I think they care about children, but they just care about them in the wrong way. So we, we, we've really just taken parenting and we, we've exhausted ourselves with being busy. And, you know, you read stories like this. I don't want to believe this stuff is true, but it is true. So I, I think we've just gotten into a habit that what we do is when our child is three, we send them to pre-kindergarten, then we send them to kindergarten, then we send them off to, what, 12 years of education. And then, of course, you got to have a college education, right? right, right. I mean, that's the great lie that's being taught and uh, that's being imposed on our children is you'll never make it without a college degree. And yet some of the most successful people in our country don't have college degrees. I met a very mature, um, bright young man at our church yesterday. He was probably, I think he's in his mid-20s, and um, he's new to our church. He went to the University of Wisconsin system uh, in college, and he says, I had, no, I had an idea how liberal it was and how progressive and intolerant of the Christian faith you know, major universities are, but... I really was, wasn't prepared for it. But he had such a good foundation. I said, well, how did you turn out all right? I mean, he's very mature. He attends Bible study. He goes to church. We could talk about the Word of God. He said, I was homeschooled. Hmm. And my parents prepared me by teaching me the Word. And I believe uh, his background was, was Baptist, and then he went to a non-denominational Christian church. But his parents... His parents, that was his answer. And I, I, I know colleges are so bad I can't imagine sending my kids there. In some Christian colleges, too, you've got to oh, yeah. parenthetically insert uh, Christian in quotes because, you, you know, they're changing, too. And they're, because if, if they don't go along with the PC uh, mentality or ideology, they're going to lose their federal grants and they're not going to receive government money. So they've got to be politically correct, even in Christian colleges. Oh, what a web we have weaved. <laughs> right on subject with your friend, former student, warns a predatory atheist college professors. Samantha Sullivan's parents didn't feel the need uh, to lecture her before she headed off to college. She was one of those kids who wasn't in much trouble and held on to her Christian faith throughout her childhood years and throughout high school. But when she arrived but. on campus, <laughs> things took an unforeseen and unexpected turn. In one of her very first classes, a smooth-talking professor came out of the gate swinging, challenging the existence of God by calling the very idea bull blank. Sullivan, who now works at the Blaze Media, says it wasn't long before she completely succumbed to the peer pressure 
and identified as an atheist. Wow. She says, I remember my mom, and at that time, MySpace was a big thing, and I remember changing my religion to atheism. My mom saw the status change on my profile, but I'm not sure she took it too seriously. She went on to explain in an interview with Faithwire, uh, there wasn't any pushback from the students, including herself. The professor's ongoing assault on Christianity was mostly allowed to stand unchallenged because these incoming freshmen were understandably intimidated. This unbalanced assault against people of faith is why Sullivan labels professors who push an ideology predatory as opposed to merely ideological. Can we pause right there and ask the, the simple logical question, what if there was an quote, ongoing assault on Islam and the Prophet Muhammad or the false god Allah in colleges? Mm. Do you think that would be tolerated? Big no, bold-faced exclamation point, no. No, not so at all. So there's a problem here. It's, part of it is because of what our religion teaches, what the Bible teaches about um, loving others enough to tell them the truth, but speaking the truth in love, being patient, being kind, and turning the other cheek, which is uh, what a lot of college kids have to do when they go to school. They've got to listen to Jesus being cussed at and God being assaulted and the Christian worldview being spit upon, and you've got to just take it. Otherwise, you'll, the, the professor has the power to fail you yeah. if you push back. That's why there's no pushback in college. So... If they did this to Islam or any other religion, there would be an outcry. But David, I think you raise a very interesting point. And, Thank you. And Miss Sullivan, you're, you're welcome. I, every now and then. Every now and then. Let's mark this on the calendar. So you look at Samantha Sullivan here, um, and Christian, you know, through high school, maintains her faith, goes to college, and all of a sudden, this professor just rips her. And like she said, I was intimidated. I didn't want to get an F. I didn't want to fail. Yeah. And and so what you do, I, I think, as a young Christian is you just take it and you go, well, look, I know that's not true. But mm. the barrage goes on and on and on. It's really very similar to how, um, uh, uh, what is it called, um, where they, they indoctrinate prisoners, brainwashing. So eventually you just get beat down and down and down to a point where all of a sudden you can't you just accept as fact whatever they're teaching you. Well, let's go on with this article. Um, this is a former student now, uh, warns of uh, atheist college professor. She said, I, f- I find it predatory because these adults are standing in front of 18-year-olds in a position of power, wielding their authority, and they're very convincing. They have decades of intellectual experience on these students. They're supposed to teach people how to think not what to think. They know they're in this position, and I just find them to be very irresponsible with it. Uh, Once she delved into the world of full-fledged atheism, she said she felt completely lost during that period of time. Quote, I was binge drinking, I was basically failing my classes, and it just wasn't who I was. My family was worried about me, but I don't think my mom realized what had happened, she explained. Eventually, God opened her eyes and called her back home home. It wasn't any single moment, fact, or specific argument that turned her around. She just knew. Quote, I just remember being at my lowest point and thinking, this can't continue. The next day I woke up, I didn't tell anyone about anything, and I just went to church by myself. I remember crying my eyes out because I was so ashamed of that uh, one or two year period of my life. It was very emotional for me to come back to faith I remember having a Christian radio on in my Mini Cooper all the time, and so that's what really drew me back in, Sullivan says. As for any parting advice for students getting ready to enter college and for parents of students about to enter college, Sullivan says it's critical to stay engaged even if you think your child has a solid faith. Quote, what I would say to parents is just stay involved even if your kids seem strong on the surface. Always check in with them. Get to know their professors. Check their tweets. There are so many people on Twitter every day now, and you can get a sense of how they think. Try to be involved and have really tough conversations and give them mental workouts before they go to college so they can defend themselves. Uh, what, That's good what advice. It is, and what a you know amazing, again, and I think, of course, of the parable of the prodigal son. 
how the son walked away from his father, but then was drawn back later when he looked at his life, and in this case, her life, and just realized what a disaster it was. The Holy Spirit of God in her appealed to her. And uh, yeah, this this is happening more and more. And again, you look at the statistics that Barna says that up to 80% of youth walk away from their faith. Some will return, but many start this spiral of humanism, and it just leads to all the problems we see in our nation these days. Mike, we have a handful, I don't know how many, of younger uh, listeners to stand up for the truth, some in late teens, and there's some college-aged. What can we tell them? What advice can we give them if they are already in this environment in college when their other Christian friends are not speaking up and their professors are bashing Christianity, lying about evolution, about Islam, about Israel, lies about America, but particularly about Christianity and pushing it off like it's a fluke, it's it's a fable, it's not true. What can they do in this environment in college? I, I think the first thing is there's organizations like Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Ratio Christi, and Crew that have uh, one of them is pretty much on every campus, pretty much. Seek them out. Get get into fellowship. Ratio Christi. Ratio Christi, yeah. Get into fellowship with other believers and, and, and find a safe haven there, a place where you can all come together and vent and talk about what's going on. It is so connection. You know, be, be in your Bible, be praying daily, but then also find fellowship of other like-minded believers. Because what education wants to do to you, David, and you know this, is isolate you and make you feel you're all alone. Mm. You're the only nut on this whole campus who actually believes God in the Bible. That's what they want to do. So find other like-minded believers to share with, to pray with, to to talk about your situation. Uh, the other thing I would I would tell young people is please don't ignore your parents during this time. Yes, you're becoming adults, but your parents love you. Stay in connection with them and, and share with them. You know what you're going through if they're Christian. If parents, they're Christian course, parents, yeah. but but I mean you know parents love their children instinctively. So mm-hmm. stay connected, but find a fellowship of Christian athletes. Ratio Christi or Crew Campus or clubs on your campus, and that will help. Hey, when we come back, getting rid of those evil chicken sandwiches on campus. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to Mike LeMay. Now, who wouldn't like Chick-fil-A? I mean, the best chicken sandwich, bar none. I wish we had one here in Green Bay. Who could not love Chick-fil-A? Well, a Apparently, a lot of universities don't like Chick-fil-A, David. Well, a dean of a college resigned over a university's Chick-fil-A ban. True story. A dean at New Jersey University announced uh, her resignation over the school's decision to ban Chick-fil-A because it is not, quote, LGBTQ inclusive, end quote. In a direct conflict with her Christian beliefs, Ryder University's College of Business uh, Dean Cynthia Newman Uh, cited school officials' opposition to the, quote, corporate values held by the Christian-owned fast food giant as her reason for leaving. Despite being voted as America's favorite fast food chain last year, Chick-fil-A was rejected by Ryder University in a decision to ban the eatery from becoming a restaurant on campus during the fall uh, 2018 semester. The determination also came in the face of Chick-fil-A being voted in student surveys as one of the top choices for fast food. But on February 14, Newman wrote an announcement of her resignation to the Riders College of Business faculty and staff, noting how the university outright refused to honor students' desire to bring Chick-fil-A restaurants or a restaurant onto campus. Quote, as some of you already know, I'm a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And as such, I endeavor every day to do exactly what Chick-fil-A puts forward as its overarching corporate value to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to me and have a positive influence on on all who come into contact with me. Newman wrote, uh, according to the letter obtained by Campus Reform, quote, so when I read that statement in the email about Ryder's decision to ban Chick-fil-A from campus because of its Christian beliefs— I felt as though I had been punched in the stomach. 
Now, let's look at some of the talking points that the university put out, and look for contradiction as I read these folks. Okay? Won't be hard to find. Here's the university. Quote, after a collaborative discussion and thoughtful consideration with students and faculty about bringing Chick-fil-A to Riders Campus, we removed this as an option on a recent survey eliciting feedback on choices. So basically, we don't like the company's perceived opposition to the LGBTQ. Second point. This decision required a difficult assessment of competing interests, the desire to bring a new restaurant to campus, and our values of inclusion. Really. Third, (laughs) openness to different views and beliefs is a fundamental value of the university. What a joke. They said that? Yeah. As is our belief to be inclusive of all cultures and ways of life, including those in the LGBTQ community. Fourth point, the university's mission seeks to prepare, quote, responsible citizens who embrace diversity, support the common good, and contribute meaningfully to the changing world in which they live and work. And lastly, we understand that some may disagree with the university's decision, but please know that it was done with the intent to best promote a campus where differences are appreciated and where members of our community expect to experience dignity and respect and the last point as an institution committed to the open exchange of ideas we will be planning a campus forum led by our center for diversity and inclusion oh god so that all voices can be heard what a joke this I is mean, almost it's it's worthy of comedy of comedic material here because you're you're right they're contradictions it, it's not hard to spot them but they're backed into a corner they're talking about being open and diverse and, and being inclusive but they're not willing to tolerate the biblical Christian worldview. And in this case, a business, Chick-fil-A, who happens to uh, promote godly values and, and biblical, just saying, well, they want to glorify God. That's not allowed, though. Not on this college campus, no, right? No. And I mean, you know, again, and, and look now, so they're going to have this committee, right, this, this hearing, led by the Center for Diversity and Inclusion. I'm sure that'll be a fair meeting. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, it's just, it, it's a joke. Uh, students were also, some of them upset. They said the fact that fellow conservatives feel scared to share their views says a lot about the political climate on campus. Sophomore accounting major Brett Butler said, who also serves as treasurer for the Turning Point USA chapter, um, uh, he said that given that it's 2019, people should feel free to engage in political discussion without worrying about what their peers will think and say. Now, Ryder's position to exclude Chick-fil-A over its views in the name of inclusiveness was pointed out as self-contradicting. That's a ridiculous position on its face because banning a restaurant over its Christian values is the opposite Opposite. of inclusive. (laughs) The university is using the typical liberal trick of being exclusive of Christians under the guise of inclusiveness. I think it was... um Tucker Carlson in a, a video interview. And actually, I saw one of his um, monologues, his opening monologues recently, and he was pointing at the hypocrisy of the left. And he said, and I can't believe at the end of it, he said every single time at the end of it. But he's basically saying that watch what the left and progressives and Democrats are saying. And when they accuse people of doing being a certain way or when they throw out names— or about Christians being intolerant. That is exactly what they are doing. They're being intolerant. They're being bigoted. They're being whatever it might be, not inclusive, uninclusive. But they are throwing out those accusations. And he said every single time they're the ones that are doing exactly what they say other people are doing. That's Mike LeMay's number one rule in the handbook for understanding radical liberalism. (laughs) They are exactly what they accuse you of being homophobes, misogynists, bigots, they are it. They are it exactly. They just their their bigotry and their their uh exclusivity is righteous in their eyes. So it it's it's just, now hey, thank God David we have Christian universities, right? Well, not so fast. Evangelical University blocks lecture by pro-life activist Star Parker. An evangelical university in Minnesota has blocked a conservative student group from hosting a lecture by African-American pro-life activist Star Parker because of her radically held beliefs. Mm. This is the University of Northwestern St. Paul and it informed its chapter of Young America's Foundation uh, last month that it could not hold, could not hold an open event featuring the 62-year-old 
conservative artist. Now, Parker is the founder of the 800 Pastor Network Center for Urban Renewal and Education and has long argued that the conservative agenda of traditional values, limited government, and free markets are the greatest benefit to low-income Americans, especially African Americans in inner cities. She has also long spoken out about the negative impact that abortion and Planned Parenthood has had on the African American community. And since 2017, she has served as part of the White House Faith and Opportunity Initiative to share ideas on how to best fix our nation's most distressed zip codes. Mm. So, Well, good for her for speaking out about the truth of the worldview behind Planned Parenthood's racism. Yeah. And Margaret Sanger was a racist and eugenicist, and she started the first clinic in black neighborhoods in Harlem and Brooklyn back in the, I think, of the early 1920s. And she um, said, we don't want to let word get out that we want to exterminate minorities and the Negro population. But that's exactly what they have accomplished. There are more abortions in New York City to blacks than births Mm. now. This is by design. And in in Mississippi, I think, and uh, one other southern state, it's successful down there. But this is the worldview. No one wants to connect the dots here and go back to Planned Parenthood's founder, Margaret Sanger. Well, and, and also, David, we are, we are, liberalism keeps minorities in bondage. You know, it, it, it's, there's this mentality that because you were born black or American Indian or whatever, any minority, that the man is going to hold you down. And that the only way you can get ahead is to depend on us and our liberal utopia. Mm-hmm. And, and really, these people are being uh, unconsciously told they're not good enough to compete. They're not good enough to go out there and start businesses. They're not good enough to go out there that they need the help of the government. So it, it's really just marching them back into slavery, economic and social slavery. And I wish more people, David, would take the time to read your books because you've done some extensive research on Margaret Sanger and how Hitler basically looked at Sanger's plan and said, hey, let's do this. He was inspired by the birth control movement in America because he was all into eugenics, right? Yeah. Trying to create a master race and weeding out the the unfit. And that's what Sanger wanted to do. Less births of the unfit, uh, the, the weak, the feeble, the minorities, um, the less desirables. But um, people don't realize that um, in the early, I think it was 19, or mid-1920s, early 1930s, before Hitler came to power, one of his uh, top eugenicists, a psychiatrist, I believe, but he's a, a eugenicist, Ernst Rudin, he wrote for Margaret Sanger's birth control review right here in America. You can look it up. It's inconvenient truth. Liberals and progressives and Democrats don't want to go there. But that's what happened. So you've got a guy that was working with Hitler that's writing for the Birth Control Review, one of Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood's publications. And there's dots you can connect. And we were doing so well in their eyes over in Germany that they thought, wow, this is what they're doing over in America. Because remember, it started, we, we, we always looked down our noses at Hitler as being the worst of the worst. And decades before he did what he did in the late 30s and early 40s to the Jews, we had already exterminated and sterilized thousands of lives, thousands of people in uh, prisons and mental hospitals here in America. And Sanger was all, she was getting a lot of support in New York with her birth control movement and Planned Parenthood, the abortion uh, movement was already uh, well on the way. So it's interesting that it's, it's not fun history to look at, so it's no wonder that this university did not, did not want Star Parker to come in because they, as they call her pro-life beliefs, quote, radical. By the way, this movie coming out, Unplanned, about I believe it's about the story of Abby Johnson, the former Planned Parenthood worker. Mike Lindell, uh, founder CEO of MyPillow.com, helped fund this movie. Good for so you. So he's incredibly pro-life. But that's coming out, and... The ratings, whoever was in charge of giving movies ratings, gave it an R rating, hoping to discourage people from going. Get this. In many states in America, teenagers can go and get an abortion, have a baby violently ripped out of the womb if if you're a young girl who's pregnant, without parental consent. But to see this movie now, you need, your you need a, a parent or guardian because it's rated R if Let, you're under 
age. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, sad. Let's bring it back to the church, though. Okay. You know, again, we, we will tend to look at these things as political, and pastors don't want to speak on political issues. At the very least, please educate your people that there are two, basically, worldviews. The first is a biblical Christian worldview, and the second is a secular humanist worldview. And we need to start taking the time as pastors and church leaders to educating people about these clash of worldviews, because the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return one day, and I think fairly soon. And he is going to separate people on his right hand and on his left. And it's the Bible says that many who call him Lord will be banished to eternal hell. Let's start having the courage and the love of people to start bringing these issues in front of the church. You don't have to talk about Democrat or Republican. Listen, I have no great love for either political party. Uh, They're bad. But we're talking about worldview here, Mm -hmm. a biblical Christian worldview or a secular humanist worldview. And if we at least start teaching that in our churches, maybe light bulbs will go on. And no matter where this world is headed, understand this, we have our mission from God to go make disciples of all nations. So uh, be encouraged in a sea of bad news. The Lord is coming, and he will make everything right. Just hope you're on the right side when he comes. When we come back, we'll wrap up the show and tell you about our guest tomorrow. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. Now, here's Mike LeMay. Hey, tomorrow your and my favorite old guy joins us. Dave Wager of Nicolay Bible Institute and Silver Birch Ranch uh, joins us for a discussion on God's Word, how we live it, and, and what to be watching for these days as believers. So Dave Wager, tomorrow on Stand Up For The Truth. David, we, we've seen public education completely co-opted uh, in the name of a secular humanist worldview. We're now seeing more Christian schools, more Christian seminaries selling out to the world. Uh, it is so important that we as parents really give our children a, a rock-solid foundation for their faith. The, what they face at particularly secular education universities is an onslaught. They are badgered, intimidated, they are bullied. Uh, And understand again, they look at this professor as smarter than them, and he is a manipulator. He has a control over them because he can give them an A or an F. And you know what? You start getting a whole bunch of Fs for standing up to Christ. Uh, The best of us sometimes would be tempted to buckle and give in to ways of this world. So, uh, But in the midst of all of this chaos and confusion and growing evil, We have the eternal promise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you confessed yourself as a sinner before him? Have you thrown yourself in his mercy? Have you said you believe in the one, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for you, who took God's wrath upon himself in your stead? Have you confessed your sinfulness to him? Have you put your complete faith and trust in him? And are you committed to loving him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. It is an eternal decision that every man must make. For David Fiorazzo, Mike LeMay, standing up for the truth, thank you so much for joining us today. Again tomorrow, Dave Wager of Nicolay Bible Institute. Be bold, be strong, and always unashamed of the gospel, because the Lord your God is always with you.